Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Mission Whitetail podcast, episode number 25. Almost a year, brother. Mm-hmm. Next one will be a full year. Um, to say we are running on fumes <laughs> is, is an understatement. Uh, hard work, hard play, right? Yep. Uh, we have been on the trade show circuit for quite a while, did the Harrisburg show, followed up right by the Indianapolis show, followed up by the Dixie Deer Classic. You guys rolled back into town last night about 10.30. Yep. I unpack, or I rolled the trailer with all the booth into the <laughs> garage this morning, went to the office, tried to get a workout in, caught up on email. I'm headed to the beach in a minute, <laughs> so <laughs> we're, we're getting after it. Yep. Speaking of why, which, go ahead. I was, I was just saying wide ass open. Yes. Speaking of which, how did – I haven't had a chance to follow up. How did the last day at Dixie Deer Classic go? It did really well, but it's it's the usual Sundays at the, the trade shows. You get a good, a good rush for a couple hours, and then, you know, once 2.30, 3 o'clock rolls around, you may as well just start heading home. It seems so, to be the, yeah. the case with all of them. Yep. Yeah, we're you know that's something with with ICO that that we have found these show circuits are so awesome. We get to interact with guys all over the country, and you know we had big Rendell Eric up in Indiana. He's a trip man and mm-hmm. a, a big buck killer, <laughs> and it was cool hanging out with him. And um, he's got a lot of insight. He's actually worked with the tethered guys quite yep. a bit, and and really enlightened us on different shows to attend how to do the booth stuff that we didn't know so yeah. you know anytime you can get somebody that, that knows the stuff in and out to, to be a consultant with you that's a big help yeah he was he was in iowa this past weekend while we were in raleigh he said they killed it there it was awesome so yeah so we will guys that are in iowa illinois type area wisconsin we will be in iowa next year for sure yep um, and we're going to hit a bunch more shows next year i think to finish out this show season, we've got Columbus, Ohio coming up weekend after next. Then we've got Columbia, South Carolina, and then either Alabama or Georgia or vice versa. Yeah, um, I can't remember. Those are like Buckaramas, one in Alabama, one in Georgia. And so that's just kind of an update on our show, show uh, schedule. But it's, it's been fun. Got to interact with a lot of cool dudes, see a lot of big bucks, see a lot of big bucks in Osseo, which yep. is great. Um, you know – as you talk to guys, you, you kind of get a pattern. We get asked a lot of questions, you know, at these shows. And one of the main things, I won't say the main thing, but something that sticks out in my brain that we get asked quite a bit is wind and thermals. Yeah. That seems to be a, an ongoing question, and it, it, it's a confusing one. Um, you, you haven't done it for – haven't done this whitetail stuff for 30 plus years wind and thermals still still get me oh yeah and and i think what we need to do is get like a i don't know if you'd call it a, a thermal expert but maybe you know those guys that fly, fly those micro light airplanes mm-hmm. that rely on thermals and, and see if we can fit, get somebody like that to come on the podcast and really explain thermals dissect them and and break it way down and see if we can equate that to hunting yeah you know in a in a simplified version we you know with mission whitetail always trying to provide value always trying to learn and and dive into things to help ourselves and other guys you know get better and so i'm I'm adding some information here on the front because we've got some question and answers coming up that's basically what this episode is the question and answers uh, this go round I guess fortunately or unfortunately, or just about all relate to Osseo gear. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're going to answer the questions we were asked. But, I, you know, guys, I don't want this to seem like a plug for Osseo, but the, the simplest way to look at thermals 
in the mornings, as it starts to heat up, your thermals are going to rise. Yeah. And that can very much help you in certain areas. And, and there is a wind speed. Some guys say five miles an hour. Some guys say 10 miles an hour. I think it's closer to that five mile an hour where the thermals will actually override the wind. Yeah. You know, where they, they'll, you know, if they're going a certain way and the wind is going the other way, the thermals will actually win that battle if the wind direction. So, so what that means is you look at your weather map and you see you've got an east wind and it's two to three miles an hour and you get in a spot in the afternoon and you drop some milkweed and it's going dead west yeah. because the slope it's is that way down. and it's yeah. falling down in the afternoons. It, that's a lot. A lot of guys get have that dialed in. They understand it perfectly well. Some guys are going, what are you talking about right now? Yeah, and I think it's all it all is spot dependent too. You could be on a north-facing slope in the morning and you're not getting as much sun on that side as you would on a south facing slope so you're banking on your thermals rising by eight o'clock or whatever and they're not because you're not getting as much sun as if you're on the other side of the hill Um, and if you're sitting in the sun they're already rising up so that's another thing to think about as well and and you know when you go into your spot you know we're talking mornings right now and and you can be absolutely bulletproof if you're you're facing west and you're in a sunny tree the yeah. backside of a sunny tree and and those sun that sun hits that tree first i mean you're 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 basically bulletproof right off the rip and so you know that that's something to keep in mind even if you have two to three in the wrong direction now I'm going to get yelled at because somebody's going to go into their spot and blow out a big yeah. old buck. You said. This wasn't bulletproof at <laughs> yes, all. I got busted. But, uh, I shot myself. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't bulletproof. It's your fault. Uh, so, th- again, this is a simplified. Th- this will be a, an entire podcast that we'll get into thermals and wind direction. After- probably do a video, too. We'll take some milkweed or something to a few of our spots. Your spots. And, We're not going uh, any of my spots. Never mind. Scratch the video. <laughs> I like the video, but let's go to somebody else's spots. Yeah, that is a good idea. <laughs> We're going to Ohio. Let's go to some of Hayes' yeah, spots. Yeah, yeah, there <laughs> we go. Uh, we can throw Ozonics at him. <laughs> <laughs> Drop Ozonics. That fell right down there. <laughs> Drop Ozonics. We can watch the milkweed in the Ozonic stream. <laughs> Uh, we can. We, I don't know if we'll be able to hear to talk with that machine <laughs> running, but anyway. We'll breathe. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so afternoons, real quick, let's hit on afternoons. Th- that is where I have found I make my biggest mistake. Ugh. Afternoons and thermals. When it starts to cool off in the afternoons, the thermals drop. And if you, you know, obviously you're in an elevated tree stand, they're going to come down and, you know, five six mile an hour or 10 mile an hour wind which we don't get a ton of here in south carolina we're normally that three to five and thermals is a real challenge but the way the way you can look at it in your in your deer stand in the afternoons is how would water run if i if a river came in off the top of my head which way would the water run and you're going to have canyons and drops and all sorts of things in front of you and that the way that water is going to run away from you is the way the thermals are going to fall but again a stiff wind will blow those the 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 other way so you just have to be real careful of that you know I, i try to hunt lower like in terrain in on afternoons or just completely stay out of a spot in the afternoons um but again you back on your first statement it's all spot dependent yeah every spot's different and then you throw in water and rivers and ponds and then all of that changes and every spot is different i don't know how many times i went in in the afternoon and checked like four weather apps and they all said the wind would be doing five mile an hour one way and it's completely the opposite and then the sun starts getting beneath the trees and then it starts going the right way it's very frustrating (laughs) yeah and and that's that's part of the game and you know, there, there is a science to thermals, but when you equate it to hunting, there, there's not an absolute science. Mm-hmm. And you're going to mess up and you're going to get busted. Anybody that thinks they have it completely dialed and never get smelled and, you know, have it perfect, that, that's, not, mm-hmm. that's not accurate. 
everybody gets busted, everybody's going to get smelled. But th- that is something to really pay attention to. Uh, and probably the most important thing outside of where you are hunting is understanding thermals and wind. Yep. And egress and access. Getting in and out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, like like I talked about at the beginning, we're, we're going into a year of this, and we, we definitely want to dive into um, wind, thermals. I did a podcast in Harrisburg with the Exodus guys. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys have incredible content, Chad and Jake and Cameron. Mm-hmm. Incredible content, super passionate hunters. Um, you know, they've got the Exodus trail cameras and – but but outside of that, you know, their media is really good, and, and there's a ton of educational stuff. And I loved sitting down and, and talking with them, and you can tell they, they understand and know the game. Yeah, um, for sure. They do a lot of public land stuff. Um, that's something we'll hit on, too, this coming year is public versus private. I know we've, we've talked about that before. Uh, one thing, you know, being at these shows and interacting with hundreds and hundreds of people – Apparently, the, the public land has gotten super crowded, yeah. and guys have planned their whole vacations to go out to public land spots and had seven, eight hunters every morning walk under their stands, and it it ruins it for them. Yep. Uh, you know, and so that's something that we can talk about, public land, trying to find permission spots or small leases. We can get into bedding, you know, and, and we'll go through the, the buck in Kansas again. I've told that story a few times, but – that's so important the the small overlooked places you know we can talk about that uh, we'll have some good guests on again we'll probably get don higgins back on again adam hayes uh we'll, we'll get some other guys I'd love to have rendell on yeah one of these episodes as long as he doesn't zombie dust us <laughs> was that you <laughs> that's a story what say you yeah rendell? let's see <laughs> I asked him if he hit anybody with a what say you at the at the uh, Iowa show. He said, oh, you know it. <laughs> uh, guys, if y'all aren't following Rendell, man, you need to check yeah, him out. He's, he's hilarious. He is hilarious. Uh, he's about he's about 6'13 height. <laughs> yeah, he's a freaking monster. <laughs> but a super cool dude. Uh, all right, should we dive into these questions? Yeah, let's send it. All right, here we go. First question we got in was, Joe, what – What's your personal favorite feature of any single piece of Osseo gear clothing? And this came from Cade T. He emailed in this question. Uh, to me, that's really, really simple. Uh, my single – I say it's simple, and then I get another one pops in my brain. <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay, so obviously the camo pattern is my favorite thing with the whole it, – it, it's completely different than anything out there, and it works – our opinion and our testing better than any pattern on mm-hmm. the planet for whitetail deer hunting out of trees. But my favorite feature, I guess, is is the windproof liner that we use in, in our mid and late season, in the Sherpa stuff and the late season stuff. Yep. The, the fact that when it freezes, it doesn't crinkle. Yep. It, it's completely windproof. You can sit hours, and I can remember wearing stuff. I won't call out any names of, of other brands, but before we had our line, I can remember being in Alberta and sitting for four hours in sub-20 degree temperature. I was nice and warm, but I stood up to just draw, draw my bow to see <laughs> if I could draw my bow. And it sounded like you had a brown paper bag and we're just rattling it all together. So, so you had a ton of confidence after that. Yeah, I, had, I just stayed drawled. I just threw my <laughs> bow. <laughs> <sounds like that. laughs> 45 minutes <laughs> uh but yeah so that was that's my favorite feature what say you kev <laughs> <laughs> well that was that was one that came to mind right off the rip because you can you can run our sherpa gear and it's like half the bulk of like any other jacket out there basically because we can we can get away with having that thin jacket with that liner in there blocking all the wind um but i guess the other feature my other favorite would be our double um thigh zips on all of our pants uh they're very very accessible for when you're wearing a saddle i don't think i've ever wore any other pants that you could get to 
those pockets while you're up in your saddle. And, um, and I'm always, you know, I got my phone in one side, wind checker in the other side or something like that. And it's very easy to get to. So that's, uh, that's one of my favorites. And then if you're a, a safety harness tree stand guy, we got the, the tethered slits in the back of everything. So you don't have to worry about doing any kind of crazy layering or anything bulking up, up around your collar. Um, you just put it right through the back of everything. Yep. Yeah, in, in the pocket design, when I was really looking at that, it wasn't necessarily for saddle hunting. Yeah. Uh, but it, it just worked it out. It just happened to. Ha- happened to work out. And speaking of that, we, we are going to be – stick with us, saddle guys. We, we've got <laughs> some pretty neat stuff coming for, for saddle guys that that's going to be different than anything out there. And we've got yeah. some design changes to some collars and stuff that we'll be releasing – April, May-ish, that's going to be pretty neat. Question number two comes from Josh via email. says, Joe, thank you for doing this, buddy. What's the most exotic and or breathtaking breathtaking place you've ever traveled to hunt? Uh, Great question, Josh. I mean, obviously, I can throw Turkey, the country of Turkey in there. Yeah. Uh, The Munsur Mountains that Kevin and I went on together. This is when you were – whippersnapper yeah 19 20 years old uh and and i guess the mountains were insanely awesome i mean we got some of those pictures that are just incredible we're we're about 50 miles from the syria border so it it had a danger factor to it uh the people were not super happy we were there we got run out of a tea room by some guys Uh, we had the military set up around us Mm -hmm. a perimeter and actually lay up a machine gun mm. on its bipod and our Turkish to Turkish translator <laughs> he spoke no English Kevin nicknamed him Turkish to Turkish so instead of Turkish to English <laughs> he spoke Turkish to Turkish <laughs> and I told Kevin to film the military and I thought he, he lost it he did not like he was taking cover he's mm. like no camera no camera he learned English really please, quick please no 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 <laughs> no, no, no camera no. no camera so uh that that was a pretty exotic trip and, and ranks up there, uh, Mongolia, off the charts because they there's still nomads there. That was really neat. I hunted some ibex over there. The Wrangell Mountains in Alaska, probably the most brutal, uh, rough country I've ever been in. Hunting on glaciers for doll sheep, and I mean there was a crevasse or whatever you call them, like a ditch. But I looked down in it and I couldn't see the bottom, so I broke off a piece of shale or whatever or some kind of rock and dropped it in that crevasse and i never heard it <laughs> i never heard it hit the bottom <laughs> so i i actually took my rifle off my pack and put it across my back because i figured if i fell in it there, was, it there would possibly <laughs> be able to wedge myself <laughs> and i got my in reach i put it on my chest so, so i could that yeah sucker. yeah that, so that was that was up with Ultima Thule. Those guys are awesome. Some of the hardest guys on the planet. Uh, Jay Stanford, Don Martin, those guys up there. The Kloss family. They're Alaska dudes that are just bad to the bone. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we've been on some some good ones. Yeah, we, we've got something not quite as exotic, but we got some hunts coming up. We're going to go to Texas and do Axis Turkey here pretty soon, just to stay sharp with the yeah. bow and get some really good meat. Uh, and then we're going to go up to Saskatchewan, do a bear. I've got a good buddy up there that's a whitetail guy. And, you know, I, you know you're always trying to stack the deck, and I want to go bear hunt with him and then do really do my scouting for whitetail while I'm there and, and plant some bugs and maybe give you some tips and ideas on, on how to set some stuff up for bow hunting because, you know, the – Milo Hansen buck came out of Saskatchewan mm-hmm. and you know I I wouldn't be surprised if the next world record doesn't come out of Alberta or back in Saskatchewan obviously Iowa um so yeah that that's you know those are some of the hunts that we have coming up uh next Joe any plans for a woman's line at any point my husband and I are avid hunters and I want it on the ICO I want in on the ICO action Thank you for taking my question. This is emailed in from Kimberly. Kimberly, uh, yes. The answer to that is yes. Uh, We do want to add a women's line. And, guys, 
get frustrated with not having tall sizes like longer end seams. You're big and tall. We get guys that are five six x that want to know why. Yeah. We don't have giant sizes for for them, and then ladies get frustrated as well. And the the simple answer to that is we have minimums that we have to buy. So as a company in its infancy stages going into our fourth year, if, if we did get a women's line and we had a women's small, women's medium, women's large, you know, XL, um, you know, there are minimums in each one of those sizes. The, the market for lady hunters is not huge. There is a market there that we want to work with. We, we, we want to bring them into the ICO family, but we're, we're not at a place with our company yet where we can buy, you know, every yeah. single piece of, of minimums of these different sizes and hold an inventory for three, four, five years, which is basically what it's going to take to move that inventory. We so, can barely do that with our regular inventory right now. Yeah, we're so small. Yeah, we're, we're, we're selling out of stuff, and, and we're, we're learning every year. And it, it's challenging, man. Clothing, you know, we, we, we took – four pair of triple X Sherpa bibs to uh, Dixie Deer Classic, and we sold all sold four of them, them the first, first day. <laughs> the first day that we were open, we sold them all. I mean, what are the chances of yeah. that? So we're, we're, how do you know? You know, it's, it's, it's a learning curve. We're getting a lot better at it. Uh, so, yes, Kimberly, we do have a ladies' line coming. Can I give you a timeline? Uh, probably give us two to three years. I know that's a long way off, but uh, that, that realistically – is when something like that could come. We do have a lot of ladies hunting in Osseo. They're wearing our, our men's medium, and th they like it. I realize it doesn't fit exactly right, but that's where we are with, with women's line. Yep. All right, question number four comes from Tim T. He sent it in by email. Did you ever have prior aspirations to start a hunting-related company before Osseo, or did it all just click and come together at once? a good one yep that is a good one so tim i started an outfitting business right when i got out of college i was a elk and mule deer guide in oregon and waterfowl in mississippi and after that i went to africa for basically seven years uh, doing an apprenticeship to become a professional hunter and i had an outfitting business called sporting adventures international my plan was to guide in africa for six months and then book safaris the other six months and had a kid with natalie my wife and somehow she is still my wife and she got to throw the first pitch out yesterday yeah that was awesome gamecock baseball game so she's a saint but uh she i was gone for three months i'd hit tanzania um zambia and maybe Zimbabwe or Mozambique was gone for 90 days with clients in Africa guiding and I got home and she was with Jack at the airport and she had tears in her eyes and said you got a decision to make we're either going to have a family or you're going to do Africa but I can't do this by myself yeah so obviously for me that was an absolute no-brainer and I just became basically a travel agent for hunting and we did started doing Argentina. I would just broker everything out of our home office, and she actually came into the business and started helping me, and that was the healthiest thing we ever did. That doesn't work for all couples, but having her in the business really, really helped uh, our relationship and me not traveling as much. You know, she, she's cool with me going on these deer hunts for five, ten days at a time and then checking back in, and, and now our son's older in, in college. Uh, but, but yeah, that, that is, is kind of the, the first hunting business. Next, uh, I bought the Deer Hunter's Moon Guide. Um, you know, that, that was something that, that I bought with, with Adam Hayes. We bought that from Jeff Murray. It had about 1,500 customers when I bought it. And my plan that first year was to just shelf it. We bought it in August. And I was just going to hold it because it was so close to hunting season. I was just going to hold it and wait until the following year. Well, all of a sudden, somehow people started getting my Sporting Adventures number and were calling in like, I need the Moon Guide. I need the Moon Guide. They had been buying it from Cabela's, and we, we closed it down there. And so 
I ended up printing like a thousand of them that year and sold them all. And we actually grew it from 1,500 to 25,000 subscribers in three years. So that was a lot of hard work. And, you know, Adam having the following of guys that he has and he, he's believed in it. And, you know, it, it, that overhead moon and underfoot moon, there is really something to that. Mm-hmm. We talk about it all the time, weather and pressure trump everything. But if you have a really good day that right weather – low pressure on your deer, all things equal, and you get an overhead moon, an afternoon sit into October, hold on to your yeah. bootstraps because that, that it really does work, in my opinion, and, and what I have seen. And that was the second business in the outdoor space, and I ended up selling that to Adam. He runs it now and has, has absolutely grown it from, from where we, we had it and is doing really well with it. Um, the apparel side of things is something I really got introduced to sheep and goat hunting. When, when you, you know, the guy asked earlier about the, the exotic stuff, you know, I, I think on that turkey hunt, you, you had pretty generic, basic clothing. Yeah, it wasn't great. And, and boots as well. And, you know, I had the, the premium stuff. They lost, remember they lost like my whole bag for the whole, that trip. I had to borrow that one guy's stuff too. That sucked. So, so what doing these hunts, me and you both have, have understood the importance of real and the difference between the cheap Walmart stuff and the really premium stuff that's out there. Uh, you know, when I got exposed to that, I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is next level. So much more comfortable. With, without a doubt. And so I, I transferred that into the whitetail space and started running that gear. And unfortunately, man, I, I, I realize there's been a ton of deer killed with, with the premium stuff that's out there now. But I was getting busted a ton. The camo pattern was just not there. Yep. And I said, you know, if, if there's ever an opportunity – to start a premium line with these high quality fabrics, the, the, the waterproof membranes, the windproof stuff, the stuff that can lock you in your stand and you can sit for hours in brutal weather. If ever there's a way to come up with a camouflage pattern that makes sense, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to go all in on it uh, because I'm that convinced that really good quality clothing gives you an advantage. A really good quality camo pattern gives you an advantage now, you know, there's guys listening right now that hunt out of blue jeans, box stands, and uh, flannel shirts or Carhartt jackets, and absolutely, you can kill deer with, yep. with any of that stuff. I don't, don't debate it. But what good camo does is it gives you the advantage when moving. When yep. you've sat there for four hours and you go to look over your left shoulder and that giant is standing there, you have a way better chance of getting away from uh, getting by with that in good camo than you do yep. with subpar camo. Yeah, or you're hunting the bottom and they're coming off the ridge right here and they're getting eye level with you. Yeah, you got a way better advantage. So that that was the whole gap that I saw that needed to be filled. That's the gap that we filled. And three years in, we're 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 starting to see guys that are like, oh my god. Oh yeah, I. I feel bad. I almost feel bad at these shows talking about it because I sound so biased, but I almost get lazy in some of the trees that I do hanging hunts in now because I only do like three sticks, um, 15, 16 foot in the air, and half of them, they don't even have any cover on them. I'm like, yeah, that one will work. Trail's right there. And they, I've had so many mature does and um, deer just kind of look up at me and just go right back to doing what they're doing. And we hear that story over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Our, our buddy, what's, what's this out? Our buddy Mike, yeah. he, he's a trip. Concho. Yeah. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> he, he calls all the time and gives really good feedback. Yeah, Let's he leave does. That. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I've gotten super long-winded with that, uh, but – Last thing on camo and is the way I look at it, there is a reason that every ambush predator in nature is camouflaged. Yep. There, there's a reason 
that that is. I mean, if you can name an ambush predator that doesn't blend in his environment, ambush predator meaning something that hunts by itself, that only eats meat, that catches its prey with its teeth and claws, uh, I'd be interested to know what what ambush predator that is. Obviously, bears are black, brown, white. Um, then you get color phases, but you know they're they're more is omnivore the right word? They eat berries and yeah. fruit, and, and you know they do catch stuff, but eat a lot of dead stuff. Um, anyway, uh, so so there's a reason why these ambush predators have camo, and if it's good enough for nature, it's absolutely good enough for me. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's see here. Question number five: Do you try and shed hunt at all during the off season? Thank you, Robert. Okay, so I'm going to get a lot of hate for this one. Uh, I am 100% anti-shed. I've said this on multiple podcasts, and I have said this on multiple TV shows, and it always gets bleeped out. Nobody has ever used my segment talking about this. (laughs) Um, I, I understand shed hunting. You know, it's cool to find the antlers, and, and guys get super fired up about it. But but here is my reasoning for not doing it. And, Kevin, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I think you fit the same yeah. mold as I do here. The only thing that shed tells you is that he was alive the day he dropped his horn. I get hunting season is over, and so he made it. It tells you he made it through hunting season, but all it it doesn't tell you if the coyotes got him, if the winter killed him, if he got hit by a car, if he relocated. It doesn't tell you any of that. All it does is tell you he was alive when he dropped his sheds. I personally, want, as soon as hunting season is over, want to leave those deer totally alone. I want them to relax. I don't want to run in there to their bedding area and jump them out of there and have them run in front of a Mack truck. I don't want to do any of that. So, guys, I get it, shed hunting. I I know that I'm going to get some text messages and emails from people saying, man, why are you bashing shed? I'm not bashing shed hunting. If you want to shed hunt, shed hunt. I don't do it. I don't like it. I don't think it in any way helps me to kill my next deer I, I don't think it does I, I mean you know he made it through hunting season so I guess somebody could argue that you know he you made you know the deer made it through hunting season uh, but but other than that it does absolutely zero to help me kill that deer and it can absolutely hurt me killing that deer so I stay out I don't shed hunt uh, so that's my take you yeah I'm the same exact way if the only time I'm walking around this time of year is I'm bigger like public land tracks that i'm not afraid to um screw up and i'm i'm trying to learn these areas way before it even gets close to hunting season but i'm never looking for sheds i'm looking for deer sign and that's it i'm looking for deer sign and then i'm getting out of there i'm dropping some pins checking the wind depending on the time of day and then leaving yep um, and then all, all the properties that we have prior hunting experience with, I'm like you, I don't even go in there unless I got to go pull a camera out of there at the end of the season, but that's it. And, and this is so funny. The next question tees right into what you just said and what we were talking about. It says, hi, Joe, how often do you actually get out and scout this time of year in preparation for 2023? Thank you. It comes from Thomas via email. So Thomas, Good question. My, my spots that I know, that I understand, I completely stay out of. Uh, as soon as hunting season is over, um, I, I am out of there because I know those properties like the back of my hand. Yeah. So what am I doing right now? We're getting into March. All new. Yep. New properties. And so guys are going to say, well, are you go into a new property. That's no different than shed hunting. You're going to blow the animal out of there. He's going to get hit by a Mack truck. That that is a possibility, but the flip side of that coin is if you don't know anything about it, you need to learn that yep. property. And so the risk or, or the juice is worth the squeeze in that in that scenario. If if I get a new property, okay. So here's an example. Um, I'm going up to Ohio 
week after next for the Columbus show, and I'm going up like three or four days early because Adam and I are going to go look at a couple new potential leases. Mm-hmm. And there's another guy that's got that little 37-acre yeah. track that's surrounded by the Nature Conservancy uh, that he told me I could hunt. And I'm going to go look at all those, and I'm going to walk the heck out of them and make all kind of notes and pick stand sites, pick funnels, decide if we want to maybe lease them. You know, that one spot is a permission piece. So, yes, the, the juice is worth the squeeze in that scenario. And I guess you could say in that scenario, if I'm looking around and I see a shit, I'm going to pick it up. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that is uh, an, uh, an instance when it is worth it to me to go in in February, March, April, and really look around and see what's going on. But my, my true spots, you know, I got, uh, you know, in the swamp here on the Congaree, I've got pictures after the season of two of the bucks that I want to hunt this coming year. Man, I'm not going – I'll go down there and put mineral out and mineral spots, but those are really good places that I can get right into. And, you know, it's not off the beaten path. I'm not walking through bedding cover. And other than that, uh, that, that'll be all I do there. Yep. Yeah, well, I got the, my new kind of um, main spot that I just pulled a few cameras out of a week or two ago, had some good bucks on it. And, um, all I did once I got that intel from those soaker cameras, all I did was go back and find multiple entrances how I can get in there with for multiple wind directions. And I picked out a few trees and dropped a few pins and got out of there. Once I, because now I know that there's at least one deer in there worth hunting. I just stay out of there. But but like you were saying, when I find these new spots. You can do all the e-scouting and all that computer stuff that you want, but until you go walk it and see exactly what it looks like, where the drainages are and, and, and the little creeks and all that, none of that, not all of that shows up on a topo map. And, um, and you got to go walk it and, and really see what it looks like. Um, so I'm a big proponent for that. I, gotta, I have to go take take a walk and um, make as many notes as I can well that it's interesting that one spot you have where you left the camera or maybe it's a text camera whatever you're consistently throughout the entire year yep you've consistently got pictures of deer and hogs coming through there so yep so I walked that really good this past week and learned it really well and found even more even more sign and even more sign that funnels them and, and so that is a good example, guys. If you, if you find a spot like that, you're like, what, what is going on? You know, I, I, this looked like a good trail. And, you know, a lot of times you put it on a trail or a scrape and you get very little. You yeah. Get very little action. And then, boom, you find the magic spot and it's constant game movement through there. Well, you need to figure out why that is, why that spot is better than everywhere else you put trail cameras. And then you can replicate that. Yep. It's a huge learning experience. These trail cameras have revolutionized things. And, you know, guys argue they're ruining things. And I'm not going to get into an ethical debate. But there's a reason why hogs, deer, mature bucks, mature does, herds of does are coming through that one spot. Yep. And, and you, have, you have put another feather in your cap yep. having learned that. And now when you go to another public spot, or a, you're going to know exactly what to look for. Yep, and I had a I broadcasted almost like a little web of I had a like a nucleus with the the cell cam and then a web of soaker cams and I put all that data together from them soaking and then along with the the cell cam and I got some of the same deer most all of them they're hitting the same scrapes but more frequently right over in this spot closer to the cell cam and then I got them hitting another handful of scrapes and a mile straight line from those ones so i'm kind of piecing it all together it's it's pretty neat it it is really neat it's a it's an awesome strategy and and the process of that is really what fires us up is is putting all that together and then you zip an arrow through one and all that work yeah is, is worth it all right let's see here Hey, Joe, I was wondering if you guys could make a hat-face mask combo. Would love to have one to add to the line. Uh, This came from Kurt Knives from Instagram. Uh, 
uh, hat face combo. I'm assuming that is the like camo hat that has the face mask built into the camo hat. Um, I, I hadn't really had any plans for that. We do have, or we will, for ne- not this season, but next year, we will have a full head net. Um, it won't be built into a face mask, I mean, into a hat per se. I, I haven't gotten a lot of uh, requests for that. It's, it's interesting you say that. You know, we obviously have our ho- all of our hoodies have hoods with a hoodie has a hood. <laughs> the built in <laughs> face mask. You're, you're, you're kidding me. A hoodie has you don't a hood. Say. Yeah. What say you, Kev? You think a hoodie has a <laughs> has a hood? Uh, has a built-in face mask. So we and then we've got a net gator guys use. So we we've got two face coverings right now. We'll be adding a third, uh, maybe down the road. Um, no plans right now to do that, but maybe down the road that's something that yeah. that we could could put out there. I know I've had some of those back in the days when I turkey hunted really hard. Well, that thing, the the head net deal that we're coming out with, that'll fit. I mean, you could wear a hat comfortably over top of that. Of course. So um, that might work for them. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be necessarily built in, but it, it would be, you know, a full face mask. Plus we got our neck gaiter that, you know, you wear it around your neck and you could pull it up and then over the back of your hat, it's really comfortable. Yes, concur. Okay, concur. Or face gaiter, whatever it is. All right. Hey, Joe, how about a kid's line? It's so hard to find kid's camo. This came from Brando from Instagram. Yeah, again, I mean, that's going to kind of go back to the other questions, the minimums as we grow. We want to have all that, guys. We want to have big and tall. We want to have ladies. We want to have kids. Bear with us. The the minimum quantities for all this stuff is is, uh, not really in the budget, you know, the first – four or five years but but when we get to that point absolutely we'll be adding it uh, I, I think to to start with on the kids line um, we'll, we'll get some smaller t-shirts and hats maybe some small camo shirts some smaller yeah. hats you know that that'll be pretty easy to add uh, but yes kids sliding coming bear with us as we get there but yes kids line coming um, number nine tips on finding out of the state hunting land like how to narrow down a state to an area, say 100 miles. This comes from Mike on Facebook. Mike, I think we did an entire podcast on this early on. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember the episode, but it, I think we did a whole podcast on access and how you do that. Uh, briefly, um, I think you need to talk to taxidermist in whatever state you're interested in going in. You know, tag states are different, difficult to put all your eggs into that basket because you might not get drawn. Um, so non-tag states, Kentucky, Ohio, Missouri, places you can get tags over the counter. Uh, then you can start calling up some tax- taxidermists in different areas. Uh, also, I look at Don Higgins and I talked about this out at one of his master classes. You can look at soybean production which is really the the mineral in the Mm -hmm. soil so i I guess a mineral map would work as well i'm not as familiar with with that but that's what don was saying is if you if you take a transparency map of where the highest concentration of soybeans are produced they go hand in hand with where the biggest bucks are killed it's it's unbelievable how that happens so you could narrow down there and, and Don's, Don says it's not necessarily because the soybeans are produced there. It's because the soil with the, yep. with the uh, correct mineral in those soils. So you could start with that. Look at the giant soil production places. Uh, once you figure out the area you want to go, th- then you got to get to work. Yep. Um, that's going to local diners. That's talking to real estate agents. That's knocking on doors. That's using every possible resource that you can use. So – Figure out the, the area you want to hunt, and then you got to go to work. And there's no rocket science to that. Um, it, it can take money. It can take. It's going to take money. It's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of work. So th- there's no rocket science to that. I can't say, you know, this is the magic pill that gets you access to where a booner is going to be. Uh, we, we, I look for that every single day of the year. Mm-hmm. And they're hard to come by. Very so, hard. Hope, hopefully that answers your question and gets you 
kind of headed in the right direction. Uh, and then the last question of the day is, how old were you when you first began hunting? This comes from David uh, from Facebook. And I guess, Kevin, you and I both can answer that one. Uh, so I came from a really extensive, I guess, hunting family. My dad was addicted to it. My mom actually hunted. My sister hunted. My brother hunted. We had a, like, RV camper thing on the hunting place that we had. My dad had a lease. He ended up also buying a farm. And every weekend, we hunted. I mean, I can remember I told this story on the Exodus podcast the other day. I can remember being in diapers or right out of diapers and waking up at 8 o'clock in the morning and being in a sleeping bag in the middle of the wilderness <laughs> and not knowing where I was. And I would hear something above me, and I would look up, and my dad was in his tree stand with his rifle hunting, and he would drop a piece of candy down on my head, and I would just sit down there and eat candy while he got another 30 or 45 minutes in. So for me, died in the wool right out the womb, we, we, I'm sure my mom actually hunted with me in the womb. So, yes, I was introduced to hunting at a super early age. Uh, great, great dad that loved it and, you know, let me make my own mistakes. And basically at 12 years old, I had a little cutoff 243 that my son Jack also used growing up, and I'm hoping that his son will use. And <clears throat> he, uh, uh, he, he turned me loose. You know, 12, have at it. You know, yep. I've, I've given you – the basics and it's time for you to, to to figure it out and i i really credit him with doing that you know i i have not been nearly as tough on jack as you you well know he goes to <laughs> texas and mexico and hunt clubs and i've spoiled him rotten um and and he's a good kid but but my dad really instilled the work ethic and and getting out and figuring it out for myself so that's my that's my how i got started yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. I was born into it, like you said, Joe. I, um, my grandfather on my dad's side had a hunting camp in Quebec, a fishing and hunting camp in Quebec, and one in Alaska. Um, I was too young. He passed away by the time I was, I guess, old enough to really go on those type of trips. But, um, yeah, I was I was born into it. My, I got my first... Uh, 22 rifle on my seventh Christmas and ever since then the uh, chipmunks birds squirrels <laughs> were no more on the 10 acres that we lived on <laughs> it's probably still barren since I moved there nuclear bomb oh yeah you couldn't if you went under that porch in my backyard you could probably scoop up 100 pounds of spent 22 press <laughs> and you are quite a shot I mean if there's yeah. a bumblebee around our office or a black fly and you have a rubber band, <laughs> yeah. he is his days or minutes yeah. are numbered. If it if it launches a projectile, I'm pretty pretty dangerous with it. Yes, I, I would agree but, with um, that. But yeah, I started off super young. Um, had a background or a family with a very extensive hunting background, and then. Um, I mean, as soon as I got a high, out of high school, I started working for one of the local, um, I guess, sporting goods stores or whatever. And then straight from there, I worked there like a year out of high school and started working from you and just up the the intensity of the hunting. And yeah, how would you like to have Joe Miles as a freaking <laughs> <laughs> white tailor or hunting mentor in general? So uh, uh, good stuff. Well, yeah, we're pretty dangerous. Yeah. So that, you know that that's kind of the the white tail kind of how we grew up, and you know that doesn't mean that guys didn't that didn't grow up in in hunting type families, you know, are at a disadvantage. I mean, you look at Andy May. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, you look at him. He he was on our last episode. We did two episodes with him. He's he's as good a big buck killer as there is in the country. And, you know, he, he never grew up with it, but, but he got addicted to it and he does what it takes to learn and his, his attention to detail in all facets of the whitetail game are, are pretty much unmatched. Yeah. Um, he, he's a, he's a good solid dude. Um, so yeah, guys, that, that was kind of our questions for episode 25. Any, 
know, we always finish with any other questions, concerns, ideas. You know, we welcome them. We'll be going into episode 26, which will get us into a full year of doing this every other week. Kind of excited. It went by yeah. fast. Yeah, really fast. We'll have to figure out something to do kind of special for uh, for the next week. Maybe we do a, a highlight that's going to make you uh, work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get, get some Andre stuff, get the GBRS yeah. stuff, get the – Andy May, Adam Hayes, maybe yeah. pull segments from all of those. Uh, that's an idea. We, we may come up with a really good guest that we have, and then we'll be off and running for uh, year number two of this. But we greatly appreciate the support. We, we had our marketing meeting the other day, and David said, you know, to, to reach out to you guys. It, it Apparently, I didn't know this. You probably did, Kevin. But if guys go in and, and give a review – um, of the podcast it, it really helps with the ranking and, and yeah. it gets the podcast out to other guys so if, if you get a get a chance fellas and, and can go on what would it be like uh, i guess uh spotify? like yeah spotify itunes things like that you can just do a i think there's a star system give it five stars and if you want to type in a comment you can yeah apparently that really really helps out with the rankings and you know we're not trying to monetize this we don't have any sponsors we're just trying to provide value for ourselves and and for the listeners so if we can get it out to more people and those reviews help guys if you could do that we'd greatly appreciate it have a good week boys and uh we'll we'll be in touch next time oh yeah and guys if you need any bow work reach out to me or joe and um we'll get you set up and you can either swing it by the office or ship it down to me, and I'll get it knocked out for you pretty quick and get you shooting straight. Yep, that's right. There's not a better bow tuner that I have <laughs> run into in my days, so anybody that needs bow work, hit us up. Thanks, guys. We'll talk Thank to you soon. Thank you, guys. See you.